This is the Sports Psychology Hour with Dr. Andrew Jacobs. I cannot express the gratitude what my son came and visited you. Dr. Jacobs has been in practice for 37 years as a sports psychologist. I have seen a change in youth sports in the last 10, 15 years. I've talked about it a lot on this show. The Sports Psychology Hour. The best advice on the radio each and every week. Failure and losing and screwing up is something that happens in life. It happens in sports. And I think we have to teach kids how to do that more effectively. This is where sports talk gets real. That word playing, it's gone from our society in a lot of ways with kids. And now here's your host, Dr. Andrew Jacobs. Hello, everyone. I am sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is the Sports Psychology Hour from our flagship station, Sports Radio 810 WHP in Kansas City. I'm here every week as we talk about the mental side of sports on this show. I've been on the radio in Kansas City now for my 27th year and my 38th year working as a sports psychologist. I've worked with athletes around the country in all aspects of performance, whether it's motivation, concentration, stress management, team building, relationships. And we talk about how the mind affects what you do, and we do all types of discussions on this show each week to delve into how sports psychology, how the psychological side of sports plays a role in what we do. Winning, losing, success, failure, concentration, motivation, focus, whatever it might be, all these issues affect us. You know, each week I try to come up with a topic that I think will be valuable for you as listeners to to, uh, think about and listen to and share with other people. Our shows are podcasted here at Sports Radio 810 WHB and also on my website, winnersunlimited.com. And I'd like to talk about the physical and mental combination together, how things work. And today I have a very unique individual, a special guest on with me. He is Murphy Grant. He's the Associate Athletic Director for Sports Medicine at the University of Kansas, and he's in his 13th year there. He's in charge of all aspects of the department. He was also the head athletic trainer for their football team for the past 12 years, and prior to that spent six seasons at Oklahoma State University, and is currently the chairman for the National Athletic Trainers Association's Intercollegiate Council for Sports Medicine. And Murphy's going to join me here in a moment. We're going to talk about the role athletic trainers play in light of what's happened at the University of Maryland. If you're aware, University of Maryland has been in a crisis. Football player Jordan McNair died in June after suffering a heat stroke at practice. And it's been a tragic situation. The strength and conditioning coach resigned shortly after that. They went through a a long investigation, and this past week reinstated head coach D.J. Durkin, much to a lot of people's dismay, and then he was fired the day after he was reinstated. And I thought it'd be great to talk with Murphy today about the role athletic trainers play in sports. If you're a parent and your son or daughter is playing sports, their health, their physical health is just as important as anything, if not more important. If they're not physically well and something goes wrong, it's not being taken care of, there can be a tragedy like happened at Maryland. So Murphy's been kind enough to join me this morning on the phone. Murphy, good morning. How are you today? I'm doing well, thank you, uh, Dr. Jacobs, and good morning to you as well. Thanks. I appreciate you being here with me today. You know, this is a topic, obviously, that having worked with the University of Kansas football team for years, I'm sure it's been something you've talked about quite a bit. What's the What's the mindset of college athletes about this this whole issue because i know it's something you deal with athletes in all sports at the university of kansas as as the associate athletic director for sports medicine 
I'm sure this has been something that's been talked about. How are people reacting to this whole situation? What, what's their feeling about it? Uh, you know, actually, I think the, the student athletes themselves, they, they, they're concerned. Uh, they're always very aware of their bodies uh, and, and definitely what's going on when it comes to the training aspect of things. Uh, they also understand and know that they do have to work to continue to get better to progress um, in their particular sport and their craft. Um, so that's, that's the tricky part there. Uh, from a healthcare standpoint, we just want to make sure that we are providing everything we can to, to provide a health and safety um, coverage uh, and care for the student athletes. Um, I, I think that's really important. Uh, you know, coaches go out and sit in families' homes and meet their parents, and if the kids are have the opportunity, they come visit us, uh, check out our campuses all over the country. But from an athletic trainer standpoint, once we meet the kid, uh, look their parents in the eye, look the kid in their eye, and say that we're going to take care of them, that's uh, that's something that we really, really feel that's important. And we take it upon ourselves to make sure that happens. In the recruiting process, are you ever involved in talking with parents? You know, that's something I, I've always sort of wondered about. My youngest son swam in college. He went to a D3 school at New York University. And he didn't meet with the athletic staff, uh, training staff, when he went there to, to talk to the coaches. I know that for a fact. But does that ever happen for you? Do you ever meet with parents? Do they ever come in and have questions for you or anyone in your department? Yeah, yeah. Well, definitely at the two major institutions that I've that I've been at and currently at right now is, you know, during uh, our recruiting visits, on the official visits, um, I spend time with the the student athlete or prospective student athlete. Um, we talk to them about their health, their health history. Um, get my hands on them a little bit. The NCAA allows us to uh, get our hands on them uh, with our team position, and during that time, I speak with the parents about things that we'll provide and we can't provide and just the overall health of, of their son or daughter. How involved are you when it comes to that? Do, do, do parents want to, do they have specific questions for you? Do they oftentimes come in and ask you about specific health issues or things like that? Or do they just want a sort of a generic overview of what goes on? No, they, uh, you know, I, I give them a, a pretty detailed overview of what's going to go on, but uh, there are quite a few that really just want to know the ins and outs of what's going to happen with their child, and rightfully so. You know, some of them live hundreds and thousands of miles away and are not available uh, if something goes on. So, you know, I think the parents right now are, are pretty um, into what's going to go on and what's going to happen with their son or daughter. You know, your role is, is maybe as important or more important than probably that of a coach because you have to decide the physical health, the physical ability of an athlete to perform. And you have to make decisions sometimes that are not easy because I'm sure coaches want their athletes on the field and no matter what the sport is, on the court, on the field, in the pool, in, in, in the, on the rowing team, on the softball team, the volleyball team, wherever it is. And you've got to make a decision whether someone is, is physically able to perform. Is that sometimes a difficult decision to make? Um, you know, sometimes it is, yes. Um, but at the end of the day, it's really not. You know, if we, I mean, we're on the same team as the coaches and the players, and we all want the best for that player. Uh, we all want the best for the team because uh, that, that, again, that's part of being on a team. 
But if a student athlete or a player isn't physically and able ready to go, are you helping or hurting the kid? Are you helping or hurting the team? You know, you wouldn't want to put an individual out there who can't get to full speed and maybe they uh, miss the tackle or miss a play or can't get down the court to defend on the basketball court. So, so you have to think about it that way, you know, when, but that's a communication that there has to be communication between sports medicine staff, the coaches, the player, um, even some strength conditioning on what they're doing in preparation for uh, game time and game week. So everyone has to be on the same page and understand that we're all, again, on the same team when it comes to uh, where we're going with the young young individual well you have a lot of experience with this and that's why i'm glad you're joining me this morning because i know there might be a lot of parents with questions about this i'm sports psychologist dr andrew jacobs this is the sports psychology hour from sports radio 810 whbr flagship station in kansas city joining me this morning is murphy grant he's the associate athletic director for sports medicine at the university of kansas he oversees all aspects of the athletic department in terms of their athletic training he has a wealth of experience and I'm, I'm really lucky to have him joining us this morning. He's the chairman of the National Athletic Trainers Association's Intercollegiate Council for Sports Medicine. And this is the Sports Psychology Hour. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. Hello, everyone. I am sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs, and this is the Sports Psychology Hour from our flagship station, Sports Radio 810 WHB in Kansas City. I'm here every week. We talk about the psychological side of sports. And today joining me is Murphy Grant, the Associate Athletic Director for Sports Medicine at the University of Kansas. He's currently in his 13th year there where he oversees all aspects of the athletic department, the training of the athletic department, athletic trainers for all the sports. He's spent a number of years at KU as well as at Oklahoma State University, and he's the chairman for the National Athletic Trainers Association Intercollegiate Council for Sports Medicine. And Murphy, you know, we're talking about this whole role that athletic trainers play in the recruiting process, and one of the things I want to get into is, you know, the importance of you and the coaches being up on, being on the same page. I'm sure coaches want their athletes out on the field. They want them to compete especially if it's a star athlete or someone that can help them win a game or a title or something like that. Your job, though, is basically what? Give, give our listeners a real good description of what your job entails and what you have to do, especially with the communication with athletes and coaches. Well, you know, it's, it's a pretty intensive job. Um, we're responsible for pretty much every single health and, health and safety aspect of the student-athlete uh, from evaluating any injuries, treating, rehabilitation, uh, the psychological aspect of returning to sport, uh, determining uh, sickness, uh, determination of participation status, whether it's maybe they're just in the weight room and not doing practice or uh, specific pieces of the practice plan. Um, the psychological mental health aspect, um, again, determining the uh, environmental concerns, the playing fields, uh, if there's some issues and the turf is too hot uh, and unsafe for our players to be out there, that's something that we I take temperature and would take temperature of the turf every single day before practice to 
to give our coaches an idea of what the temperature was. Um, so it entails many different things, you know, even return to play. Well, in light, in light, of, in light of that, in light of what you just said right there, this whole situation that happened at Maryland with this, this tragic death of Jordan McNair because of, you know, having heat stroke and being overheated, what's, what do you do to prevent something like that from happening? I mean, that obviously was a tragedy. I'm sure no one wanted that to happen. I mean, was that was that basically a result of carelessness, or what? What would you say? Because you know, there have been a number of deaths of of football players, maybe more than any other sport, uh, for a variety of reasons. You know, you've you've got all kinds of situations that can come up from tragic injuries. But what can be done to prevent things from from that from happening? Uh, you know, uh, again, can't can't speak on Maryland because I was not there. I, I I don't know what was going on there, but. Um, a health and safety standpoint, um, and uh, let's let's speak of football in particular. We know when the months are that could be the most deadly. Let's, let's just call it that. You know, it's it's typically your January month, February, uh, May, June, and August. Those are the the hot months for issues like this, and they're typically when the athletes are coming off of a break. Uh, you know that, at least we hope, that they are training and doing some things when they're away from our campuses, but, I mean, do we really know what intensity is? You know, so with that said, and these individuals coming back to campus, I mean, I think everyone just needs to be aware that once you get them back on, you know, some of the things that you're going to ask of them and request of them just has to be well thought out. And then when you think of just environmental um, issues or, or, or things that may come up, like I said, you know, I would always take the temperature of the turf, uh, get ambient temperature of what uh, is going on in air and humidity. And then, you know, there are some temperature things. People have policies in place on if your temperature is this much and the humidity is there, then you need to cut down um, your practice time and give more rest. All those things just have to be well thought out and communicated with uh, everyone that's on your team. And I totally get that. But let me ask this question. And, and, you know, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the show today is because of your knowledge and experience and obviously you know what you're doing. But have you ever dealt with a coach before who sort of challenged you on what you were saying about an athlete in terms of their, their health physically or psychologically in terms of being able to play? Oh, yeah. I mean, I... I you get questioned like that. I wouldn't say all the time, but it has happened. Um, and as long as you're in this game, uh, I think it may happen. Um, but again, my reply back to that coach was, "Coach, I'm on your team. I'm on your team." So um, again, a trust factor has to be uh, set up, and, and communication has to be there. Coach is challenging you on returning a kid to play. Then again, is are they not trusting you? Um, but when I throw it back, just me personally, that I am on the same team as you, what what can the coach, I mean, they could probably come back and say some other things. Um, well, I think that's, but, a great, that's a great response. I think that's a great response because basically you're telling them, look, I'm trying to help you out. I'm, I, I'm here yeah. working with you, not against you. But, you know, the, the whole, one of the concerns I've had, and, and, and I've talked about this for years on this show, this is my 27th year on radio here in Kansas City, and now syndicated around the country, is the whole pressure issue on, you know, people to win. And whether it's at, at, at the youth sports level, 
whether it's at the high school level or the collegiate level, there's this pressure to win. We need to win a championship. We need to do this. We need to do that. And obviously coaches have a lot of pressure on them, and especially at the collegiate level, let's face it, especially with football, if you don't win, you're probably not going to be around very long. So doesn't that make the role you play even that much more important about the communication aspect, about making sure athletes are physically and mentally ready to be out there on the field? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and again, I think that the student-athletes want to win just as much. And, again, it goes back to are we helping or hurting a kid who may want to go out there, even though we know that they are not physically ready to go out and play, to allow, the, allow this individual play, because, again, that could lead to another injury. Um, does it help or hurt the team? Uh, if they have a potential future to play at the next level, uh, does this help or hurt their chances to make it to the next level? So there's a lot of things that go on uh, when it comes to getting a, getting a young man or woman out there. Um, and the pressure's there, you know. And, but, again, everyone's going to approach it differently. You know, if I am ever in a bind and making a decision on if I should return this student-athlete to play or not, I say, is this is this was my child, would I put him out there? And that'll bring it all back to perspective. I mean, there's some times that you feel that the student-athlete is ready to go. They've done really, really well in their rehab process. They've done everything in their return to play. They're actually getting a lot of practice reps, but you get ready to game time, and they may or may not be ready to go uh, for one reason or another. And that's when you have to make that decision. Do I want to put this, you know, clear this individual to play, you know, speak to our sports medicine staff and our coaches and say, you know what, is so-and-so really ready to go out there? Or are they ready to be in the lights and, you know, play against this team that is going to be just as fast? I mean, there's so many things that go into play. Right. There, there are a lot of aspects of this you have to take into consideration. Yeah. Listen, yeah. we're going to go and, out and after, our commercial, after our commercial break, we're going to get into that. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. I'm talking with Murphy Grant, the Associate Athletic Director for Sports Medicine at the University of Kansas. I am sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs, and this is the Sports Psychology Hour. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. Hello, everyone. I am sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is the Sports Psychology Hour from our flagship station, Sports Radio 810 WHB in Kansas City. I'm here every week as we talk about the mental side of sports in this show, and today I'm having a really intriguing interview with Murphy Grant. He's the Associate Athletic Director for Sports Medicine at the University of Kansas. He's been there for 13 years, working with the athletic department for a long time, the head athletic trainer for the football team. Prior to that, he was at Oklahoma State for six years. And he's the chairman of the National Athletic Trainers Association for Intercollegiate Council for Sports Medicine. So Murphy knows a little bit about what he's talking about. And, you know, Murphy, here, here's the thing. And I, and I want to open up our phone lines. If there's anyone out there who has a question, if you have a son or daughter who's playing sports, you have a question about whether they should be playing or not because of a physical issue, give us a call. If you're an athlete and you question whether you should be back on the field, whether you should be playing, 
you're not sure about how you've been treated by the training staff or the coaches are sort of pressuring you to go out there and play, which is what I want to get into here in a moment, give us a call and let's see what, what Murphy has to say about that. You know, Murphy, the topic, as I mentioned earlier, the whole issue with Jordan McNair's death at University of Maryland has brought up a lot of issues around the country about being intimidated and being challenged. You know, I've talked for years about the, the I talk about the difference between mental toughness versus mental abuse. And mental toughness to me means having the intestinal, the emotional fortitude to go out there and push through pain, push through your fears, you know, challenge yourself to see how good you can be. And I know coaches want that from their athletes. I've dealt with this for years. I mean, I can't tell you how many coaches said, Doc, you've got to get this guy to work through his fear. You know, he's scared. And I scream and yell at him and I push him. They don't listen to me anymore. And I'll go, well, screaming and yelling doesn't work. Okay. It's about communication. It's about understanding where they're coming from. And I, I've had a saying I've, I've mentioned for years, probably should try and trademark it. A good coach is a good psychologist. A bad coach needs a sports psychologist. Well, I think a good coach needs an athletic trainer, a medical professional they can trust as well. So this whole issue of fear and intimidation, where does mental toughness become mental abuse in your opinion? You, you've been around sports. You've played sports growing up. You're a collegiate athlete. You have two sons who are very, very good athletes. Where does it? Where is the line there, Murphy, for mental toughness and mental abuse? What do you think? Well, you know, I, with with the words that you said, uh, I, I think are true. You know, I I think that you know playing sports right now, you do need some some mental toughness. You know, uh, sports tough, it's tough, but figuring out how to be able to push through those tough tough times, I think, is really really important. Um, sport is a great venue to be able to learn how to do that. But once it continues over and over and over and over and over to be uh, even pushier with regards to trying to get through something, get over something, um, that's when you start looking at uh, the abuse piece. Uh, when that student athlete or that young athlete, uh, again, is not even wanting to participate or to practice or is always down because they can't figure out a particular move uh, or whatnot. That's when you start seeing that it's more than just putting your mental toughness and moving towards a mental abuse. Um, what, well, let me ask this yeah, question think, then in, re, in relationship to that. What does the word fear, uh, what do you think that word means for a college athlete when it comes to this topic? You know, I, I think for, for me and what I've seen, uh, again, I think fear is probably more of um, a fear of losing, you know, I, I, I don't know. I don't, I'm not sure many of them uh, fear being injured. Um, I know it's on their mind, but uh, they participate and they work and they train to, for that not to happen. Uh, I think the failure of failure is there also, um, but it's probably more in those than, than anything else. So their view and mindset of what fear is is probably a lot different than than others. You know, when I work with athletes, one of the things that, that commonly comes up is not just the fear of failure, but the fear of success. I see a lot of people who are afraid of succeeding because they think, they think, well, if you do this, then you're going to be told, well, see, you did it. Now do it again next time, but do it better. Do you see that with some of the athletes you work with? Um, yes, but but there's a lot that are driven that, that they want the success so they can do it over and over and over. You know, and, and, and all, a lot of that depends on the level of play 
in which you're seeing. You know, there's a lot of major guys and gals that, you know, they're either using sport for an opportunity to learn and get an education, but there's a lot that are participating in sport. They have that goal to want to make it someday. And a lot of them understand the work that needs to be put in. What what would be, okay, what would be your, I guess we could call your definition, your description of where mental toughness becomes mental abuse? From your perspective as, as an athletic trainer, as a health professional, what's your, what's your perspective on that? Well, really, I, I see it that when it becomes and continues to be drilled over and over and over, and there is a change in that student athlete or that person, you know, and that change, you, you see it. You see it off the field, the field, how they're responding, how they're speaking to you, uh, the things that they're doing. You, you'll see a change. We spend enough time with these young men and women. I mean, we spend a lot of time with them that if it starts to move from that toughness to the abuse, you, you see it right away. Without, um, without obviously like naming said, names, can you give us a, a specific example of something like that you've experienced and gone through? Uh, you know, I mean, you just get... Um, when player is supposed to be making a play, you know, and everyone, there may be a simple play, and it's just drilled in them over and over and over. And I've, I've seen when that play's called, and, and years ago when that play's called, I've seen a player even ask for a sub, you know, once they knew the play was going to be called. Um, because there's still that thing in their mind that, okay, I've got to make this play. And I'm not sure that's a mental toughness. Um, again, you just see that it gets built up. And maybe there's some anxiety built in. Um, something's going on with them. But you, you see it pretty quickly, uh, as much time as you spend with the, these young folks. Okay, so then that puts you, in my opinion, CC, as I look at it, that puts you in an interesting situation, and maybe sometimes a dilemma. You can see an athlete who is perhaps struggling mentally, emotionally with what's going on, You've got a coach who's got expectations, but the athlete's going to be too scared to say anything. Uh, they're afraid for fear of losing their spot, losing playing time, whatever. You understand what's going on. Where do you come into that? Where do you fit? What's your role? Where does that fit in? You know, I, I again, speak to the coach about what I am seeing. You know, again, my opinion and, and, and side on it. Uh, speak to the athlete uh, just to see what's going on. And that's when, you know, if it's something beyond my scope, uh, that's where I read, reach out to um, to mental health individuals, whether it's sports psychologists or psychologists in general, uh, to even get more help. And we're seeing that more and more and more in this college game. There's a lot of athletes uh, around the country that are using uh, sports psychologists and psychologists and psychiatrists, again, just for help to get through uh, the day and through sports. Well, I think, you know, of course, of course, that's, excuse me, that, that, that's what I do. And I think we're seeing now more of an awareness. Of course, you and I have talked about before, I was the first sports psychologist at the University of Kansas back in 1981, one of the first sports psychologists in the country trained to work in this profession. I've been doing it now my 38th year. And there's, there's still obviously a lot of resistance to people using people like me because they don't understand it. But you're seeing more and more athletes today come out, especially professional athletes, like Kevin Love and Brian Dawkins this past year, both talk about the importance. Kevin Love list this past year, a year ago, talked about the panic attacks he was having playing in the NBA. And he's done a lot of talking about it. Brian Dawkins was inducted into the NFL Hall of Fame and talked about his depression and things like that. So the psychological component now is becoming talked about much more so. And I think 
there's not as much of a reluctance to get into that. Would you agree? Oh, I agree. You know, we are, again, at, at this level, uh, we are looking to include this as a part of our medical care. Um, I think that's really important. You know, if we are, you know, when we opened up the show, if we're going to look at all aspects of the health of the student athlete, this is one piece of that. And so utilizing that and utilizing the therapist and, and, and that profession, I think, is, is very important for growth. Well, I always like to say you can have two athletes who are physically the same, but the one with the stronger mind will come out on top. And I think, you know, that's become much more validated as of late. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. Joining me today is Murphy Grant. He's the Associate Athletic Director at the University of Kansas for Sports Medicine. He's in his 13th year there, formerly spent a number of years at Oklahoma State. And he's currently the chairman of the National Athletic Trainers Association Intercollegiate Council for Sports Medicine. Murphy knows what he's talking about. He has a wealth of experience, not only as a trainer, but as an athlete and a parent. I am sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs, and this is the Sports Psychology Hour. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. Hello, everyone. I am sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs, and this is the Sports Psychology Hour from our flagship station, Sports Radio 810 WHB in Kansas City. Having a fascinating interview this morning, I'm talking with Murphy Grant. He's the Associate Athletic Director for Sports Medicine at the University of Kansas, formerly working at Oklahoma State. But most importantly, he is the chairman for the National Athletic Trainers Association's Intercollegiate Council for Sports Medicine. We had a great interview this morning, and Murphy, I want to thank you for being with me. We've got a call. Let's go to the phones. Let's see what Shane has to say. Shane, good morning. How are you? Good. Um, I have a question. It seems like with high school athletes, um, the females are getting a lot more ACL injuries than the males. And I was wanting to know, are they noticing this as a trend nationwide? And is there anything preventative? I have a middle school daughter who's going to be in that age in a couple of years and i'm trying to avoid acl injuries and what can we do to prevent those what sport does she play or sports uh competitive volleyball and competitive soccer okay well yeah those are two sports where those injuries happen murphy go ahead that's a great question uh yeah that that is a good question and you know that's these are some things that we've seen probably for about uh 10 years um again the the female makeup and the body types uh, kind of predispose them to some injuries, the ACL being one. So, yes, there are quite a few uh, ACL preventative um, or prehab things. We call them some prehab things that you can do from a uh, performance and training point. Um, and there, there are many articles out there, uh, a lot of research done on uh, the female. We called one is a, a female triad in which they're, uh, there's from an injury standpoint on what's going on in the knee in particular. So, um, again, I can get into some anatomy things on that, but, um, you know, we can get your information and Shane and I can get you articles um, on the female body and the female ACL in particular uh, from some preventative things um, and then how to pr- continue to protect them as she continues to go through middle school and high school and, and beyond because it, it, it's something that occurs quite a bit. We, yeah, Shane, we have, why, and, sorry, but, Shane, why don't you email me your information and I will have uh, Murphy get in touch with you. 
Okay, okay. I appreciate My it. My email is drj at winnersunlimited.com. I will do it. Okay, great. Thank you. Listen, thanks for your call this morning. Great question. You know, Murphy, and that, and that sort of point. brings, yeah, that, that really was, and, and that's an issue which I wanted to get into here in our last segment. The, one of the, the issues that I'm dealing with as a sports psychologist now in my practice, and as I've said, it's my 38th year of work, um, which in of itself is hard to believe I've been doing it this long, but I'm seeing younger and younger athletes coming into my office now. I'm seeing 9- and 10-year-olds who are burned out on their sport, which to me is absurd. There's no reason a 9-year-old should be burned out on playing sports. But one of the reasons for that is that because, well, they have to play it year-round. And I'm seeing more and more pressure in baseball, basketball, and soccer, specifically those sports, where kids are playing it year-round. Well, I have to play it all year because I've got to get ahead of everybody else. If, you know, and they're doing sports specialization where they're just playing that one sport. For years, I've talked about this. It's important, I think, to play a team sport and individual sport. When I was KU sports psychologist back in the 80s, I remember a conversation I had with uh, head basketball coach Larry Brown that stuck with me forever. He said, Andy, I think kids should play a team sport and an individual sport. They should play a team sport to learn about getting along with teammates, sharing, camaraderie, things like that. They should play an individual sport to build self-confidence. And couldn't think he could have been any more head-on than that. And today we're seeing kids just specializing in one sport year-round because of this pressure to get a scholarship. But we're also seeing injuries now for younger and younger kids for overuse for just repetitive use. Is, is that your opinion, and what do you think we need to do about that? Yeah, that, that is my opinion, and I'm glad you brought that up. I've got a couple thoughts on that. You know, if you look at the past uh, four or five years of the NFL draft, we'll just say the NFL here, and you look at maybe the top 15 picks in each one of those years, every single one of those players were a multi-sport athlete. That's, you know, so, I never knew that. That's a great stat to know. So, so it's, it's, it's important. I, you know, again, where are the days when you played something in the fall, played something different in the winter, you know, played something in the spring, and you just ran around and played in the neighborhood during the summertime? Well, and just, and just, and just excuse me, but just, just going out up to the grade school or the park with a group of your friends and playing without being in an organized practice or with parents supervising you on what you have to do. Yeah, and you know what? That builds athleticism. You know, when you play tag and you run around, they're stopping and, and starting and cutting and all those things come into play just running around. But again, we all the things that you spoke about with regards to wanting to achieve and get higher and get greater coaching and all those things, it's there. <laughs> it's there and it's happening and more folks are, are buying into it and more and more folks are doing it. So at least from where we're standing at and looking at these are many, many discussions that we're having at the collegiate level all around that sports specialization is not going away. Well, so and, I, and a lot of it's money-driven, isn't it, Murphy? Because you've got, and I, you know, I've, I've, as I've re- said this several times on the show, I've said this for years, we're seeing youth sports now, leagues at four- and five-year-olds. And there's, there's only one reason there's a league for four- and five-year-olds, and it's called money. Someone's making money on it, right? Yeah, yeah, it is, and... I can't recall seeing something that that young. That's unfortunate uh, that that occurs. But, you know, we're trying to figure out how to help those young folks that are going to show up on our campuses. And it doesn't matter which level. When you have someone who comes in as a freshman in college and they've had multiple surgical procedures on their knee or their shoulder, that's, that's just an uncommon thing. So what can we do to 
educate uh, parents, uh, educate the student athlete, educate folks like in this medium on what they can be doing to protect their son or daughter before they earn that scholarship if that's what their goals are. Well, I think the combination of mental and physical health is so important. Obviously, as, as a sports psychologist and you as an athletic trainer, we're trained in these disciplines and we understand that. But I think the key thing is educating parents. And I, and I think kids should have the opportunity to just go out and play. Okay, you get a- athletes at the collegiate level who, are, in my opinion, are survivors. They survive the youth sports craze. You know, I talk to kids who are playing high school sports and college sports, and I'll say that to them. You have survived. How many of your friends, when you started playing volleyball or softball or soccer or baseball when you were five or six, how many of the kids you were playing with are still playing now by the time they're seniors in high school? And you know what most of them tell me? Very few. <laughs> Very few, if any. Very few, if any. And it, it's because they've, they've gotten burned out. They, they lost interest. They lost desire. And so consequently, they've gone off in different directions. And, you know, I think if, if we can help educate parents especially on the importance of balance and the importance of playing and the importance of just having the opportunity to give kids an opportunity to play different sports, to play a team sport, play an individual sport, let them have the opportunity to go out and have some fun, right? I mean, in the end... Isn't it about having fun, Murphy? I mean, you're, you work at the collegiate level where winning is important. People's jobs are on the line. But shouldn't it be about having fun in the end? Yeah, absolutely. And and if you look at the guys who play at a, a level higher than I, they you have to do it for fun. Uh, again, I guess at that level, the money's good as well. But you still have to have a passion and have fun to play the games. Yes, and the professional athletes day. I work with, and I work with a lot of them, football players, basketball players, baseball players, soccer players, we talk about the whole fun aspect, and they'll say, Doc, yeah, when I'm having fun, I play better. Listen, Murphy, I want to thank you so much for joining me this morning. It's been a fascinating interview, and let's, let's talk about how people can get a hold of you if they have questions for you. You've got a wealth of knowledge to share with people if they'd like to get a hold of you because, as I showed, our show is now syndicated around the country. How can people reach you, and what can they find out? Uh, email's always good. Uh, my email is mgrant, G-R-E-N-T, at ku.edu. Uh, that that's that's an easy way to get me. Um, it may take a hours or a day to get back because again the college scene is crazy busy. But I will reply back to you. Um, um, so if you guys have any questions or any thoughts, feel free. Well, I want to thank you for taking your time out of your busy schedule to join me today. You you are a very uh, very very busy person. You've got. A uh, number of sports you oversee. You've got two sons. You're married. You're a very busy man. I know you're usually busy working for, what, about 13, 14 hours a day. So I want to thank you for taking the time to join us this morning. Great information. Thank you so much. Have a great day, and I appreciate your time. All right. Thank you. I appreciate you having me on. And, and again, if, you, if there's anything that you need, uh, feel free to reach out. Okay. That was Murphy Grant, charge of sports medicine, University of Kansas. I want to thank you for being with us this morning. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. I'm here every Sunday from 7 to 8 a.m. here on Sports Radio 810 WHB. Our shows around the country. You can email me at drj at winnersunlimited.com. We'll be back next week. Have a great week. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs, and this is the Sports Psychology Hour. You've been listening to the Sports Psychology Hour. For more information, go to winnersunlimited.com.